Your support of the Candid Frame over the past 12 years has been invaluable to us. You have not only helped us produce over 400 episodes, but your donations directly helped us to create the Candid Frame app and making it available for free. We are now proud to announce the release of a new way for you to listen to TCF. We have released a new skill that is compatible with Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. Using voice commands, you can listen to the latest episodes, jump forward and back, and if you stop listening partway through an episode, it will remember where you left off. And like the Candid Frame app, it's free for users in the U.S. and Canada. In the coming months, the skill will be available in other countries. And I'll let you know when those become available. You can help and continue to support the work that we do here by contributing as little as $2 a month to our Patreon campaign. You not only help us to meet our cost of production, but provide us the means to improve the quality of the show and do so much more. Contribute today by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. In the age of the internet, there's no shortage of people who share their approach to photography. Whether it's via a blog, a podcast, or YouTube channel, there are countless people sharing their thoughts regarding everything related to photography. Some of them are worth listening to, while others, well, they should stick to their day jobs. I'm always browsing the internet looking for guests for the show, and I'm often lured because of the quality of the photographs, or the story they have to tell, or their philosophy around making pictures. Today's guest, Olaf Staba, possesses all three of those for me. Based in Vancouver, Olaf is recognized by many as a street photographer, but to hear Olaf describe it, what he does is more along the lines of visual poetry. And as you'll hear, it's a description based not on hubris or ego, but rather a sincere love for the practice of seeing the world in a very personal way. All right. Well, Olaf, welcome to The Candid Prime. It's a real pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. I've been reading... Um, your articles in Fuji Love Magazine. I've been watching uh, the videos that uh, are on YouTube, and uh, I, I really, really resonate with a lot of what you share uh, in terms of your approach to photography. And so, I knew we would have a lot to talk about when we finally got together. So, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. It's it's really great honor to be here, and uh, you know the. The whole generations of photographers were following you and reading your books and reading your commentary. So I, I feel really privileged to be here on the show. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm often asked is when people find out I'm a photographer, it's like, what kind of photographer are you? Right? And I always hate that question, you know, because I always feel like, you know, I photograph so much, I don't like being pigeonholed. And you have a wonderful way of describing yourself as a photographer, as a visual poet, which I really, uh, I really like. But tell me about what led you to use those two words to describe who you are as a photographer. Uh, that, that's a great question. Uh, in fact, the whole thing wasn't my idea at all. Uh, I, well, I actually many many years ago I started with landscape. Then um, 
I moved to a sort of a travel photography combining landscape and including people into my shots. And very quickly, I I needed something else. So I moved again and uh, I started to shoot a, like I would say classic street photography. But as you can imagine, that that lasted about a year, and I was really hungry for some sort of new visuals. And so, so my photography, I think, went really left and right from street photography. And from time to time, I started getting comments like, oh, Olaf, Olaf, listen, this is not a street photography, okay? So as I was pushing into this kind of strange direction, I got more and more people kind of going after me. At the same time, when I was with my students and friends, I heard the, wor- the word poetry. Like, like, for example, one of my students wrote to me, oh, you know, uh, watching how you work, it's so poetic. Another person used the same word and another one, and it kind of stayed in my head. So one evening I was really bored, so I went on the internet and I just typed poetry, okay? So, of course, I found lots of definitions, but one of them, a very long definition, let me read you uh, just just the, the, the last part. Okay. Uh, in language chosen and arranged to create a specific emotional response through meaning, sound, and rhythm. Specific emotional response through meaning, sound, and rhythm. I started to really think hard about it. And then I started to think about photography. And listen to this. Seeing and arranged to create a specific response through line, light, and perspective. A specific emotional response through line, light, and perspective. Mm -hmm. So this is purely a play of words, but I found it so similar. And one day I thought, well, I will use it. And some of my friends and other uh, photographers, most of them at least, said, well, Olaf, I think that describes what you do so well because you take stuff from everywhere, all those visuals that sometimes absolutely in a, if you take a classic street photography, has nothing to do together. Mm-hmm, right. And you combine them and you create these really strange visuals. So as you can imagine, since then, I stole the phrase and started using this. And right now, nobody... Nobody goes like, oh, Olaf, it's, it's street photography or it's not street photography. It's not that I care much what other people think, but I think it makes my life easy. <laughs> and, and I have to admit, I, I enjoy the phrase. I enjoy, I enjoy it too. And since you've already used it, I, I'll have to come up with something of, of my own. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's just as perfect. But, you know, it, it's interesting what you just said in terms of taking elements that have no relationship to each other in the real world and within the context of the frame you make something. That's something I I talk about all the time myself. But a lot of people who use the camera don't necessarily have that sensibility. Even people who've been shooting for a very long time, what 
do you think it is about you that makes you sensitive to that? Oh, wow. Wow. That's a really good question. I think it's it's kind of sense of uh, I just like keep shedding my photographic skin all the time. I don't know whether it's the right word, but I get bored very quickly. So let me give you an example. Uh, you know, you have this beautiful afternoon light, this contrasty light, and the, this pocket of light in the city. Somebody walks in, you take the photo. If you have some colorful element in, in your photograph or in your frame, most people will love the photo. Okay? There's no question mm. about it. But let's be honest. It's some sort of a formula that kind of is created in your head. Right. And that's what bothers me, you know? So each time I go and I shoot, and maybe I have really good image, but I very often say to myself, well, I have seen it, I have done it, I have no interest in it whatsoever. Uh, the, the, other, the other kind of answer, and, and I have to say, this is kind of one of the best questions I, I have been ever asked. I like, I call it visual risk. I just like taking, doing stuff I have never done with visuals. And, and you just mentioned just combining stuff within a frame that at the first sight, they have absolutely nothing together. Mm -hmm. And I try to craft the image out of it to combine it with some sort of geometry and visual kind of poetry. So, for example, some people say to me, yeah, Olaf, but you don't have any subject. There is no action. There is no people or even though there is a hint of a person, I'm not very often I'm not documenting per se. Right. I would say that I kind of documenting what I see, but it's not revealing. My viewer needs to go into my image and find the meaning for themselves. To summarizing, I just like disco discoveries, discovering new visuals, discovering new ways of shooting, approaching photography. And I have to admit, as you know very well, that most of the time we fail. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And, and for many years I have been struggling with it. But at one point, I just embraced this. I embraced the process of, of failure. And for me, it's, it's almost like my battery. This failure is like I, to the point that I enjoy it. I enjoy the process of failure because 99% of images I shoot are really, really horrible. Of course, I never shared them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but... Uh, but I, I think this curiosity and my drive for something new, that would be the shortest answer. Yeah. No, but that, I so get that. Because I think for a great majority of photo education, what it's about, it's about teaching someone to recreate something that someone else has already done. Yes. You know, how to, how to, this is how you photograph a still life. This is how you photograph a model. This is how you photograph a landscape. And it's passing on the technical information that allows people to replicate that uh, on their own, to be able to do that. And that's wonderful. And that's great. And if that allows people to really enjoy their photography, that's wonderful. But I think there's just, there's a, a, a group of photographers 
that like you and like me, uh, at some point, just being able to be technically proficient isn't enough. That somehow we want to feel like we are seeing and photographing in a way that is challenging us. It's not so much about what, you know, how other people respond necessarily, though that is part and parcel of what we're doing. But it seems from everything that I've ever seen you read and say that it really is about pushing the way you see that much further, that you, you, you're not simply satisfied to make a good photograph. You're trying to make a photograph that you would not have made the week before or the week before that. Is that, is that accurate? That's correct. That that's one hundred percent correct. And and when I very when I started in street photography, I quickly noticed that there is a there is a big group of visuals that are in front of you. They are like given. You stand on the street and you see stuff. Okay, and. I'm not saying if somebody's interested because it's more towards documentary photography and that's awesome. Mm -hmm. But I quickly lost interest in this, okay? And it's just me. And and I I found out that on the street there is there are other visuals that are hidden. I would say you need to work really hard to uncover them. Because I always say it's almost like, unfortunately, we are living in society where it's all about productivity, all about being efficient about what we do. And so when I was really thinking about when I go out and shoot, I do well, and why other times I go out and shoot and nothing happens? Mm -hmm. Well, because most of the time we operate in the mindset of, of, of efficiency. So let's say if I walk from, uh, from, my, from home to work, from point A to B, my objective is absolutely to get there as soon as possible, not to bump into somebody, not to kind of be hit by the car. And my mind has learned to operate this way for, well, basically since I was a kid, okay? And imagine suddenly you take your camera with you and you have to abandon this sort of mentality. And this is incredibly difficult because you need to kind of go beyond the visuals you usually see. So probably, yes, if somebody uh, trips in front of you or walks in front of you, you will notice this person. But probably when you walk to work or go shopping, you don't look what sort of pocket of light is under the bench. It's just insane. Mm -hmm. In daily life, we just don't do it. Or how can I combine reflection from the garbage can, metal garbage can, with a person that walks by? Normally, we don't do stuff like this. That's why what I noticed when I teach photography and, and it was kind of revealing to me. I think everyone struggled with this, but but I noticed some of my students, they, they were so shocked that they should even do it. Mm. You know, so it's almost some people almost need permission. Yes, you can play with your camera. Yes, you should go there. Yes, you can include garbage can in your composition. It's not against the law. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah, I got you. you. Know, 
Yeah. So, so, so this is much harder to break than I thought it was for me. And I think for many people is a huge obstacle to switch this mentality of, of efficient looking around us and seeing what we see to try to kind of uncover what's behind it. Right. Take layer after layer and see you know, further than that. Yeah. The way I describe what you're just saying is I tell my students is that you have to stop look, seeing literally that you, that you, you you can't look at, Oh, that is a table. That is a chair. That is a bench. That's a pretty girl. That's a stroller. That's a tree. Cause when you make a photograph of those things, you're just documenting it. You know, what you're suggesting is being able to look at what makes that thing a thing, not just how Brilliant. it functions in, in our world, but how how light and line and shape reveal it in front of our eyes. But that is as easy as that may be to explain. <laughs> <laughs> how, you know, it's it's really hard for, for a lot of people to sort of translate that into a photograph that, you know, goes beyond that that initial level of, of seeing. So when you're out in the street, tell us what how are you looking at things? How are you parsing things out so that what you get in the camera is is what you've just described? Usually, when I when I teach, I I I teach my students the five ways of of starting because I, I'm pretty sure you you are asked the same questions, and for many people. And I guess for me as well, sometimes you go in the middle of extremely busy street and there are this, this thousand, if not millions visuals, stills just disappearing in front of you. Mm-hmm. So where do you look? And, and, and I have to admit, sometimes I, I don't have a good day. I stand in the middle of really fascinating visuals and I say to myself, Olaf, Olaf, like, okay, you cannot look everywhere. Okay. Because, because you, you cannot concentrate. And that's another big topic, concentration. Mm. But going back to your question, I like to start with one thing, just one. So, so I studied my photographs and I would say that 70, 80% of time, I start with the light. And that may sound cheesy what I said, but... I'm ignoring, literally ignoring everything else. I will see tiny pocket of light somewhere and I'm not interested in this initial stage. I don't even need camera at this point. In this initial stage, all I care is the light. So my question that pops out in my mind is what I can do with this light. So very often my first subject is light. Mm-hmm. Only then I start asking a series of questions, okay? So, so for example, okay, the place where this light is, is there any geometry there? Is there any play? Can I change position towards this light? And, of course, there are like at least 10, 15 questions that I go through. Of course, it's happening very quickly. But basically what I try to answer, can I use this light and start crafting the image? 
And for me, this is very often the starting point. And probably, uh, as you noticed in my book, the the the, the light is 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 sometimes the subject itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course, then I could add a person. I may have some kind of a thing that I add to the frame, but very often I start with light and after explorations, and sometimes I could explore the scene for hour or two. Uh, some other photographers and my students absolutely hate me. <laughs> Why is that? So, seriously, because uh, once I, I had a workshop and and at the start of the workshop, I said, we are going to photograph here in this spot for the next two hours. There was no people around. One small plaza. At the first sight, you show up there and you would say, Olaf, there is nothing here. And that it was exactly my point. Because if you can start crafting your images from from almost nothing, then you will really progress very quickly in photography. Unfortunately, many people start from everything. Mm. From the point of view, you know, you go in the middle of the street in New York and tell me, how can you start crafting image if you have all those things happening around you? Of course, at one point you will, like like I'm sure you would do, but for many people that start in photography, they watch these YouTube videos of people running with GoPro around the town, and they say like, oh yeah, that's what I need to do. So well, they run with their cameras and, and photograph every passing person on the way. Yeah. Well, I don't think that's the way to learn photography. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's. Uh, we're in agreement there. Those those videos do, do not. At least they don't represent my approach to photography because it's just like, yeah, you get good exercise. You're walking all over the place, but I have often found that lingering in a place is always pays off much better than oh, yeah. endlessly walking everywhere. Part of what's interesting about your story is that you had a medical crisis some years ago that left you bedridden for, for, for months. And I know that that was sort of uh, a life-changing uh, episode for you and, and, and eventually it influenced what you do with a camera. Uh, why don't you tell us about that? What happened? Yes. So, so about, uh, about 14 years ago, I got very very sick and it was it was it was very sudden basically one afternoon i was playing soccer with my friends a few hours later i was fighting for my life i had a very bad luck i got a flush eating disease that is caused by bacteria that we all have on our skin i just had small injury bacteria got in and the whole chain of events started me fighting for my life for about six months in hospital. I'm not going to mention all the problems that I had, like flush eating disease, pneumonias, and all other stuff, because people would probably stop listening to this. But the six months when you face death and when you face mortality, you start looking at the world around you quite differently for for many, many reasons. But one outcome of this experience was that I asked myself a question, Olaf, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? Well, my answer was clear. I want to do, I want to be a full-time photographer. But 
going beyond this kind of cliche story, I think what was really uh, helpful or revealing to me going through this whole experience that I lost, uh, by the way, I was a very shy person, okay? And I just realized that I was given a second chance. I always joke that I'm 11 years old right now because my transplant my transplant was 11 years old. Sorry, 11 years ago. You had a kidney transplant. So yes, I had a kidney transplant. So once I left hospital, I had a kidney failure. So for the next three years, I had to have a dialysis. And uh, I was very sick. That didn't work well for me. So fortunately, through really amazing people and my lovely wife, one day, a lovely lady just show up in my life and she said, Olaf, I want to donate a kidney to you. And what can you say? You are speechless. Mm. You are just speechless. So making long story short, I had the kidney transplant 11 years ago, and that's where I started my life again. And... I decided to pursue photography full time and here I am. So it had a big, huge impact, not only on my life, but also how I perceive life and how I perceive failure. Mm -hmm. Like, 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 uh, I stopped being afraid to do something wrong. I stopped being afraid. And, and you asked me this question about my photography earlier. And I really thought for a long time about it. And I just, to be honest with you, yes, I study photography. It's, it's, it's almost my entire world. But I lost, by going through this experience, a fear. Oh, my gosh, somebody may not like what I do. Hmm. That is, yeah, that's, that's very striking. Cause I've talked to several people who've gone through, um, life changing crisis. Some are photographers, some are not. And some of them, whether it's been an illness, whether it's been living through 9 11 or whatever, they make a life changing decision and they completely transform their lives. Other people don't. They kind of return to their lives and it's pretty much the same as it was before. And they may have had that moment of feeling like, oh, I, I want, I want my life to be different in some way, and it doesn't really change dramatically. And I'm wondering for you, you just mentioned that, that you you lost that sense of fear, but making a transition to a becoming a professional photographer is not an easy one, and has a lot of obstacles and a lot of challenges. Was that fear that that lack or that lack of fear alone? Was that what helped you to surmount all those obstacles to the point where you are able to say that you're a full-time photographer and educator now? Oh, you! I think you put it so well. It's hard. It's extremely hard. It, you know, I got emails all the time from people like, oh, I would like to become a professional photographer. Uh, you know, my answer I really would like to write is just one word, don't. you know it's probably another profession i would be well better off so when i was getting into photography i was well aware that this is the life of struggle you know but having said that once you have this passion in you 
And for me, there wasn't a question of, oh, I will try. Okay, I will try. For me, it was, I'm doing this. Mm. This is going to happen. And you can ask my wife. It's, it's, it wasn't easy at the beginning. And let's not fool ourselves. It will never be easy. Okay? So, yes, some... Uh, like like Fuji sent me some camera. It's cool. Yes, it's cool. You know, I can travel to teach workshops. But 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 let's not you know try to portray like like some people try to portray on the internet. You you suddenly become like oh you fly there here. You have tons of money. That doesn't work this way at all. You know, it's a profession that is based on passion and that passion must drive you. If you are here for something else, well, I don't think you are in the right yeah. business. <laughs> anyway, so the, the, for, for me, it was, uh, it, was, it was really a decision that I made early on, Olaf, you are going in with everything you got. So I did not have a backup plan. And also, I think... What really helped me is that, like my friend said, Olaf, you are overthinking photography. <laughs> <laughs> I really like to think and write about the, the process. So uh, I guess many people notice how I was writing and thinking and sharing my experiences. And I'm well aware that very often I share stuff maybe I shouldn't share. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Going back to your previous questions, what I do in my photography and my writings, I always say, this is me. You may take it or leave it. I'm not going to pretend that I'm somebody that I'm not. Yeah. And, and yes, there is a nice Olaf, there is a nasty Olaf, there is a crazy Olaf, there is a calm Olaf. You got the whole package. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I think it helps that you have a taste of what that freedom is, that when you're out in the street and you're making your photographs and you're in that zone and you're in that Zen moment, that there is so much joy that is experienced in that, is that once you know that that's what you're in the pursuit of, it makes whatever obstacles or challenges that you have to face day to day manageable. I think without that, without knowing what that feeling is, I think passion only gets you so far, especially if you've never experienced that, you know. If all you're thinking is about, oh, this, these aspects of my life suck, and I just know that I want something different, it's hard to sustain that over the long term. But when you periodically get a taste of it, and the way both of us seem to do it is when we go out and roaming the streets and shooting, it makes... All those difficulties provides a perspective that, okay, that's why I'm doing this. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, and let me add one more thing, which may not be that popular, what I'm going to say now. But let's not fool ourselves. We need to produce great imagery. Okay? Because that's all it is about. Something that you can share with the world and and you can kind of stand behind it and say, Okay, I think this is pretty good work, okay? Because from the beginning, I was well aware. I always say to myself, Olaf, 
the biggest mistake you can make in photography is to fall in love with your photography. Hmm. Because some people say, Olaf, it's all about the experience. It doesn't matter, you know, what kind of, what do you produce? And, you know, I agree. This is pretty cute. This is nice. And experience is such a crucial part. But for me, producing strong imagery, that's what photography is all about. Okay. And when you go to, to any definition of photography, I cannot find anywhere in any definition that would put on a pedestal experience. Everywhere is like you produce images. So I, I, I try really to be honest with me. And I do, I'm doing this until today. Even today, I shot some images. And I try to answer the question, Olaf, is this good work or this is total crap? Okay, and and I think uh, being tough on yourself from this perspective helped me a lot. Are you ever satisfied with what you've done? Well, I I, I never reach the point when I say, "Oh, this is sort of imagery I love. I, I should I want to shoot this to the end of my life." There is always something there, but it's quite rare quite rare for me to let's say look at my image and say okay this is really good image okay it's very rare and images like this comes up maybe every three months Mm -hmm. and 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 to twist your question i love discussing images with people and especially like discussing images with people that could point weaknesses in my images Mm, yeah okay And they come and say, Olaf, listen, look, uh, you know, I don't like the placement of the subject and I will ask why you don't like it. If somebody says to me, I just don't like it. Well, that's not a discussion. Okay, there is nothing there. But if you come to me and say like, Olaf, look, if you move this line, your perspective slightly this way or that way, and that would kind of... uh, this this open new space that would lead like something along those lines. And I look at my image and say like, you know what, you are right. Or I would say, no, I disagree with you. Here's why. Because there was a wall on the right. I could not change perspective. That was the best I could do in these circumstances. And that's the way I run my workshops. And I challenge my student to challenge me and I challenge them by not talking what we like about images. We talk about what we don't like images. In fact, sometimes I'm saying, okay, right now we are just going to talk what we don't like about every image. I'm not allowing any praise right now. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) And you know what? Once you go beyond this, like, oh, oh my gosh. Oh, he's such a, you know, because he doesn't like my image. Once you go beyond this kind of natural feeling we all have, I think that's that's something that really catapulted my photography very quickly because I met the person that was exactly like this. Mm-hmm. He stopped being nice to me. Oh, yeah, Olaf, it's nice. No, he said, Olaf, this is total garbage. Let me tell you why. Because this, 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 and this. And it's like, wow, okay, thanks, man. 
Yeah, having someone like that in your life is is can be uncomfortable, but it's invaluable. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. Hey, I'll be teaching a series of workshops where I teach my personal approach to street photography throughout the year. I'll be in San Francisco in June at Street Photo SF and New Orleans in October. I also have just announced two more workshops, including one in New York City in October and one in Paris in September. You'll find links for all of these in the show notes and the Candor Frame website. Sign up today and I hope to see some of you there. You know, looking at your book, there was something that that was sort of new for me, and it was I was very intrigued by it. Um, you have several images where the highlights don't have any detail, where you purposely push the highlights so that you don't have the usual detail that we every photographer is usually striving for in the shot, and that that bright element, which is usually very becomes a very graphic element of the composition. And I really would love for you to sort of talk about how you came to that sensibility and why do you find that it works for you? Well, I guess that, that well, I, I have to tell you, I love your questions. You know, I don't think any question you just asked me today, I was asked before. Oh, good. <laughs> so this is so good. I love this discussion. Uh, and you know what? Let me start from this. When I encounter a technically oriented photographer, he looks at my images and he asks me, and he just shakes his head. Olaf, your Instagram is so screwed up. <laughs> I cannot believe it. So my answer is usually is this. What is histogram? <laughs> of course, this is quite provocative answer, but, but uh, let's get serious. Uh, the reason why I sometimes blow out highlights because that comes from my kind of tendency to take visual risks. And one day I ask myself, let's try to do it. I never look at my visuals as a traditional way, a photograph. I look at it as my kind of way of seeing the world. And I very often refer to dreams, you know, a few, uh, last year I had the workshop and I was working with a quite an interesting student and for the first of the day, we just, things were, were not working. He couldn't shot anything good. You know, he was upset. I was upset. You know, then there was nothing happening. So we stopped shooting. We sat down and I, we started to chat and he said, Olaf, you know, I have these dreams, this kind of really dreamy visuals that 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 I'm being fascinated by and I said to him why don't you shoot it this way why don't you go on the street and if you find any reference to your street by light or by shadow or by uh, shape anything try to combine both and he started doing this. I said, don't worry about composition. Sorry, don't worry about technical stuff. Don't worry about histogram, about highlight shadows. I like, forget about this. And he started to shoot such a visuals with, with, with those crazy highlights, no details in the highlights, uh, crazy shadows, almost blocks. And he said like, yeah, that's it. 
Mm. And I started to think about it and I thought, who said that you need to have this everything? Like, why don't you can just blow out highlights? Why not? (laughs) Or just go crazy and have 95% of your frame block. Who said you cannot do it? So I started experimenting with sort of thinking and you see many of my images uh, have this strange visuals, but that's exactly what I'm looking for. I'm looking for these strange visuals. I'm looking to pull in, almost like hypnotize my viewer to look into my image and be shocked. Sometimes some of my images, like for example, white frame, goes together with the blow on highlight. So you actually are confused because you don't know where the image ends. And you know what? I don't find anything wrong with it. I started to use this sort of techniques to craft my images and to invite my viewer for a little bit more than just a glance. And okay, nice. Next one. Nice. Next Mm -hmm. one. Because that's how internet functions right now. I even catch myself when I look at the, uh, my Instagram feed. It's just like, oh, nice, 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 nice. Well, I don't think that some photographers want me to operate this way from the other side. So I started to think, I want to have a longer conversation with a viewer. I want to hypnotize my viewer. But having said that, that's not enough. Uh, I you need to still have an interesting composition. You must have some kind of arrangement of your, uh, of your components within the image. You still, once you grab attention, your photograph needs to have such organization that this person stays with this photograph mm-hmm. and go deeper into it. That is a great point. Yeah, because it's, it's like you are breaking a, a rule for lack of a better word, but in breaking the rule, you basically hold together the shot by everything else that you're doing in terms of composition, using light and shadow, whether the camera's oriented vertically or horizontally, how close, how far, all the other, all those, you know, all those things that you have to think about to make a good photograph, you know, you take that risk, you know, by, by breaking this sort of this tendency that people have for not doing a particular thing, but it doesn't mean like you're throwing out all the rules. You're not just throwing your camera in the air and seeing what happens and then calling it art, right? Absolutely not. Absolutely. So let me ask you a question. Okay. Am I in trouble doing this? You're not in trouble with me. <laughs> cuz I cuz I cuz I completely get that cuz I'm when I go through Instagram I'm not looking for good photographs I'm looking for photographs that surprise me I'm looking for photographs that go oh I never thought of seeing in that way that's what I'm on the hunt for and, and usually love- when and usually when I comment about uh, on a photograph, that's usually what I'm responding to. And not just because it's, oh, it's a nice photograph, but it's a photograph that challenges me in some way. And, that, and those pictures of yours certainly do that for me. Thank you so much. And, and, uh, and I love that you use the word surprise. Mm-hmm. Because I think, you know, like I look at many, w- w- uh, let me rephrase this. Quite often I, I say that I would like to retain 
the visual mindset of a startup photographer. Yeah. A, a visual mindset of a startup photographer. Because I notice kids, small kids, as well as many people that start in photography, they, because they don't know the rules, because they don't have a visual proficiency yet, which is required mm-hmm. at one point, they do this crazy stuff. And then, of course, they need to study, they need to end this visual proficiency to do something with those crazy visuals. But unfortunately, many people start studying, you know, classical photography, which is good, but they lose it. Mm-hmm. They lose this playfulness because they, they they might switch from, oh, I can do whatever I want to, no, I should be doing this this way. And and as I said, uh, don't, uh, I don't want to leave the wrong impression. Once you start experimenting, you need to have this visual proficiency to decide, okay, I went crazy. Is this anything good out of it? Mm-hmm. Because if you just do crazy stuff and just throw it on the internet, well, I don't think it ends well. (laughs) No, yeah, that's completely on point. Because I think that I've seen that so much with kids that I've taught. Like you said, they don't know the rules. You just give them some basic information in terms of how to take a picture with a camera. And they come up with things that are just incredibly marvelous. And it's amazing. And it's like, I wish I had taken that photograph. I just taught a couple of kids this summer, and I had that experience during the entire time that I I work with them. But as you just said, at some point, us grown-ups, we start adhering to the rules because we are all indoctrinated to follow the rules, to do what you're told. And that playfulness and that willingness to experiment and to fail um, creeps into our photography, which is why... So much of the photography that that uh, we see sometimes is repetitive, is stagnant, is dull, is boring. But then, just as you said, there are some photographers who go, yeah, I know all the rules. I know all the techniques. Uh, I have all the skills and all this experience. And I want to do something that is about me saying something with this with this camera, with my seeing. And that's when it becomes fun, you know. Oh, and, yeah. I, and I think too many people don't get to that point because they get stuck in, you know, in that arena that's where the perimeter is is this sense of rules that no one, you know, gives time to th- gives you know gives thought to the fact, you know, there's a gate here that you could open up and step out of that that step out of that ring and see what else is out there. Because you may have exhausted everything that you can do in this little in this little space, and that it's okay to do that. You don't need anybody's permission to do that. And you know, it may not work the initial, you know, your first four, few forays out there. But you know, if you if you look at your images as carefully as you look at them when you're making them, you get to learn from them. Oh yeah, and then you get to develop, and then get you to, and then you get to refine, and you get to discover yourself, and really, in a way that's really interesting, not only for you, but eventually the people who look at your photographs. Definitely, definitely, and 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 you know, some people may have the impression that I disregard their rules. That's not the case at all. 
Mm-hmm. In fact, some the, the, there are two stages, like big stages, when you craft the image. First, when you wanna create something that is unique, you need to at this stage, and you don't even need camera for that. In fact, that's the that's the time when you play, when you when you disregard everything. But then, once you have the idea. When you start crafting the image, that's where rules are much needed. Mm-hmm. You know, I always see it this way. In fact, when I say to people, people ask me, what's the most important rule in photography? So I said, I said to them, the rule of third. And students come to me, yeah, but, you know, rules are to be broken. I, and I said to them, no, they are not. You can break them once you master them. Then you can break them. Mm-hmm. Okay. But rules, you don't apply in initial stage because that limits your kind of seeing because you start eliminating stuff too early. Once you have idea, when you start working on this visual idea and craft the image, that's the time to apply rules. Okay, at least that's how I see it. So it's not that we are throwing out everything and going nuts. Mm-hmm. But but I think people are, are applying rules too early in this long process of seeing, uh, observation, and crafting the images too early. And then the vice versa. They, they, they see something really crazy and they like stop there. Yeah. And then you have this mess. You look at this and say like, okay, I don't know, like I... Uh, I have nowhere to go. Yes, that's interesting, but my eyes don't know what to do with it. Yeah, I think a good analogy to that is cooking. You know, you, <laughs> you, you, seriously, because you get you get a recipe. You've never yeah. made something before, yeah. so you need the structure of the recipe and the ingredient, ingredients and the measurements in order to make something that at the end is edible, right? Exactly. And that tastes and that tastes good. But oh. the people who really are into it, they'll go, what if I try a little bit of this? What if I try a little bit of coriander? What if I try a little bit of this? And they usually, you know, they're they're stepping away from the strictness of the initial uh, recipe. But you don't see someone going in and going, oh, let me put a uh, half a cup of jalapenos in there. Let me see what happens. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and then let me put in, th- just just throw in random things and hope that it turns out. It's just like, it's if it's rooted on a, on a solid base, on a solid foundation, then you can start experimenting and, and, you know, stepping outside of the box and seeing, oh, does this work? Finding out that it doesn't work, then revisiting it and trying it a different way. You know, but you can't completely throw out, you know, the recipes yeah. and feel like you go, oh, I'm going to make a bread and I'm just going to grab whatever material I have in the kitchen and try to make bread. I got some flour and I'll just figure it out from there. I love the analogy. I love your analogy. Exactly. Exactly. So you work real simply. You work, I think, primarily with just with the one camera, right? I think you work with a Fuji X100F. Is that right? You know, the timing of this podcast is unbelievable. Okay. Because for the last almost a year, I have been shooting with the X100F exclusively. Mm-hmm. Yes, I took a few other images with the, with the gear that, that I was testing, but I own, well, not today, 
yesterday I owned just one camera. Oh, okay. okay. So, but, uh, so in fact, today I just got another camera, but this is a totally different machine for a totally different purpose. I'm starting a new project, which is related to your, uh, to your, one of your questions. I have been thinking about documenting stories of people who had transplant or are waiting for a transplant. Mm. So I'm starting a new project and I, and to be honest with you, I think this is going to be the biggest work. I, the most important work I will ever do in my life. I have been thinking about this project for years and finally the time has come. So it's called the Renatus project. In, in other words, it's called new life and it's going to be absolutely different photography that I have done so far to the point that I'm really scared mm. because I know I have to take what I have done so far and put it in the totally different way. So, so, so that I'm really looking forward to be challenged by that. Going back to your question, uh, I just added the GFX medium format to my kind of uh, arsenal. Oh, so, right, because I have always imagined shooting this project with medium format for, for many reasons. So, this project is going to be more documentary style, but... If I could guess, I will try to sneak in some snippets of Olaf's craziness, okay? <laughs> so, so having said that, I'm just terrified to see what will come up out of it. <laughs> well, knowing what I know of you and knowing of your work, I have every confidence that you'll be able to pull it off. But Oh, thank you. But I'm very familiar with that scary place. But if it's if any comfort. I experienced the very same thing, but I realized that if I can create the kinds of images that I create from nothing, as you, as, as you put so well earlier, I can put a photograph of something that I'm really passionate about as well. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you'll, you'll, uh, produce some amazing work and I really look forward to being able to see it at some point soon. Thank so. you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. So my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Oh, that's the easy question. Trent <laughs> Park. Trent Park from okay. Australia. Okay. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. I have been fond of his work for years and years and uh, and once I mentioned the name you probably could guess why he's such a influence make such an influence on my work but I think his ability to use light to impact the viewer and create this photograph something that you may say it's very nothing almost there's nothing special about it but the way he uses light and composition, he makes this photograph so bizarre and unique and powerful and, uh, and mysterious. I love this word in photography, mysterious. So when you look at his photographs, you are kind of, they almost, 
grab you, the whole you, hold you, and don't let you go. Mm. This is sort of photography, especially his project, uh, 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 dream life dream oh, oh my gosh I screwed it up <laughs> it's okay. uh, but you know like of course this is a podcast I cannot explain his photographs but the reason I'm fascinated because not only it looks to me he's really a master because he can shoot hundreds if not thousands of images and just present 10 of them after many years of work hard work just 10 images for one project. Mm -hmm. And for me, this is true mastery to be able to do that. Yeah. You know, not to be addicted to this throwing images every day. And I do it like, well, I share the blame because I'm so addicted. I need to shoot something every day and mm -hmm. share it. But for me, having ability to work on the project for such a long time, shoot images and just to pick just few of them, every single of them is masterpiece. It is just amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And yeah. I could talk about every single image he shot. Well, that's another episode. <laughs> 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 well, Olaf, thank you so much for joining us. It was a real, a real pleasure, a real fun to, time to, to talk, talk with you. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks to Olaf for making time for us. To find out more about Olaf and his work, visit olafphoto.com. And I highly recommend his recent book, Seeing Simplified, How to See and Create Great Imagery. And you can show your support of The Candid Frame by writing a review in the iTunes store. As people search for podcasts to listen to, these reviews can lead people to listen to us for the very first time, and that makes all the difference. So if you haven't already, please take the time to do it today. Thanks to Brado Ray from the U.S. for his five-star review. I so appreciate it. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help us to not only meet the cost of production for the show, but allow us to improve our podcast, YouTube channel, and website. Or if you just want to make a one-time contribution to the show, you can do so via PayPal. You'll find links for both on the Candid Frame website or show notes. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS and Android. Not only will you immediately receive the latest episode on your phone or tablet, but you can now easily share your favorite episodes on your social networks and help spread the word. And if you want to drop me a line with comments or suggestions for the show, you can email me directly from the app. Download it today by clicking on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and her music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at IbarianX. And this is IbarianX, and this is The Candid Frame.